Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Everybody, welcome to Grace Life. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? All right, who's ready? You ready? You know what's coming, right? Let's do this with lots of energy and excitement. Here we go. One. There you go. Good. If you're a guest and you're thinking, many people are crazy. No, we're moving. We've got one more Sunday to come here. Only one more Sunday to come here. Yeah, that's what we're cheering about. So two Sundays from now on August 12th, you will have to go to a different building. It's only a couple hundred yards, so nobody's going to get lost. And you're going to have to go at a different time. So two service times, 9.30 and 11.15. Hopefully you've already figured out which one you're doing. And uh, so here, listen, we've had a lot of stuff going on. All last week we had a bunch of people coming out helping to build the set and move furniture and build furniture and all that kind of stuff. We had a lot of furniture from Ikea. Come on, who knows what I'm talking about? That means we've got a bunch of boxes and nuts and bolts everywhere. So we actually are going to do more of that this week. If you would love to help and use your hands, either gluing some stuff or building some stuff or painting some stuff or moving some stuff, whatever it is, any night this week, five o'clock and after, just show up at the building. There will be somebody there doing some work. This Wednesday, something even more special. We're moving, like physically. Everything we don't need for next Sunday morning, we're going to move this Wednesday night. So if you like to move, you need counseling. But <laughs> if you're willing to help us move, since nobody likes doing that, uh, come out here here Wednesday. We'll have a moving truck. We're going to load up everything that we don't have to have for next Sunday and go ahead and get that moved in before the week is up. So hope to see some of you throughout the week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Going to have a good time. All right. Well, uh, also, hey, you know, we've been talking about our financial need along the way. If you remember just five or six weeks ago, I stood up here and told you in order to finish out the project, we've had some budget surprises and, you know, things that just come up you didn't plan on. And we needed about 250000 And last week, I was able to stand up here and say we only needed 150000 And, uh, you know, crazy thing, God keeps moving. I, I came into the office Monday and they said, we got a $10,000 check from somebody we can't identify. So we don't even know who to thank. And then on Wednesday, we had another church tell us they were going to send us a $5,000 check because they want to be a part of what we're doing. And uh, it's just amazing to see God move. So that number is well below 150000 now. Uh, just continue to pray God keeps moving and continue to ask God what your part might be because, you know, sometimes checks come in the mail and sometimes they come from our bank accounts. All right, there you go. So everybody, we are in a series on the five solas. Today is part four. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about how we got here. I would have thought preaching a series on five Latin phrases would have been boring and would have made no sense to people. I, I don't know why anybody would have come up with that idea. But a year ago or so, a friend of mine, a pastor, invited me to speak at his church, and he was doing a series on the five solas. So one of the things that I saw was that this is incredibly relevant, and you can speak on these five Latin phrases, as long as you do it in English, in a way that is incredibly relevant to our lives today. So anyway, when he called me, he was actually going to be absent for a week. He was going hunting. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. So he was going hunting, and uh, he said, I need you to cover for me one week, and I'm going to if, 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 make your life easy, man. Um, so I'm going to give you the topic, sola gratia. That means I just want you to talk on by grace alone. You pastor a church called Grace Life. You've been preaching. I mean, you just 
You've got hundreds of these sermons on grace. Just pick out one of them, dust it off, and come and do it. It'll be easy. And he laughed. Little did he know I've never, ever, not once, preached on grace. Let me tell you why. When I first became a lead pastor, I had a mentor of mine that I would go and meet with. I would drive all the way up to where he is, and I'd spend the whole day with him. We'd talk about church stuff, go to lunch, talk about more church stuff, or talk about me stuff, or whatever we need to talk about. He, he was one of my mentors. And uh, so after I was doing this a couple of years, I, I said, I, I would like you to listen to some of my sermons and, and give me some pointers and help me preach better. And so uh, he did, and I showed up that day, and you know, I was kind of expecting one of those, pretty good job, Jimmy. And instead, I, what I got is he sat down and he said, uh, well, yeah, I listened to some of them. And, well, here, here's the truth. Uh, you preach no grace. You teach no grace. And I'm guessing it's because you live with no grace. That was not the, I'm thinking, I drove all the way here. Like, I, I didn't. Get... <laughs> what God was doing was beginning in a journey of awareness in my own life of my inability to receive his grace. Because you see, here's the thing. If we cannot receive his grace, we cannot give out his grace. The only extent that we can give his grace is what we've received. And it turns out that I was saved by grace, but I was not living by grace. I didn't even understand what it meant. I didn't understand what it meant so much that I couldn't understand that I wasn't doing it. And so as he began to assign some things for me to learn about grace and to do some reading, I started to notice how messed up I was. I started to see what was going on in my marriage and what was going on in my children's lives by the way they would try to get my approval because I thought everything was about approval. I mean, after all, if you don't receive grace, you live your life trying to get God's approval. And then you expect everybody else to get your approval and you just end up living this mess. And this is why we're talking about it today because so few of us, I mean, I know you guys, y'all look like me. And so few of us get grace here, right? And almost none of us get grace here. And that is our goal for today. I'm going to share with you what I've learned in this journey, what God has done in my life so that we can hopefully get grace here. And then before we begin, I want you to go ahead right now and ask the Holy Spirit to help you get it here. Because I can't preach it here. I can only preach to here. You're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to do the work to get it here. You guys know what I'm saying? And, and, and so few of us are just in that place where we live by grace. Matter of fact, when we meet people who live by grace, we don't like them because they're cheating at life somehow. I mean, y'all know who I'm talking about. Those people who actually believe God loves them no matter what they do. They're always smiling and life is good. They love people around them. People around them love them because they're, they just bestow grace on everybody. Y'all know, I mean, know that person. It's probably not you. Just telling you. That's why God brought you here today. That's why God had me preach this message for my friend. The truth is, the most grace-filled, grace-giving person I know of any person is this guy. It's the pastor who asked me to preach. And I'm thinking, if you're going to preach these topics and take one of the five off, you shouldn't take off the one that's easiest for you. Like, you wouldn't even have to write the sermon, man. You just get up and talk because grace comes out of you naturally. But for some reason, that was the one he wanted to take off, and he chose the worst person on the planet who should talk about grace to come and do it in his place. And you know why that is? Because God was messing with me. Don't y'all love when God messes with you? 
See, that's why I never preached on grace, because I don't like when God messes with me. I, I didn't want to talk about things that God was going to have to teach me beforehand. But that's where we are. See, my friend, when I, he became a pastor, I became a pastor shortly after, so I was always watching what he was doing, and truly, he was always hunting. I mean, one week, he was dove hunting. One week, he was quail hunting. When he wasn't hunting, he was flying his entire family out to Arizona, renting a motor home, and doing a tour of the Grand Canyon. Until winter came, they went to West Virginia and skied for a week. And I'm thinking, when do you work? I mean, some of us actually work for God. Like, we show, I would show up early in the office so I could, like, pray and be spiritual and have time to meet with people because they're God's people, and I love God's people, and I want to spend lots of time with them. And I'm just showing God, like, you should be glad you chose me as a pastor. Look how hard I work for you. And then he's over here just smiling like God loves him even if he doesn't work. <laughs> grace. <laughs> He's figured it out. See, y'all laughed at that, which means y'all need me to keep talking about this. So last week, as we did this series, we were talking about sola fide. Okay, enough Latin. What that means is through faith alone, saved through faith alone. And really, if we could have, we would have combined last week and this week, we would have made everybody miss lunch and stick around a little bit because these two are so closely intertwined that many people can't separate them. Matter of fact, when most pastors speak on the five solas, they do it in four sermons. And my mentor even told me, you, you don't separate through faith and by grace. You're saved by grace through faith. It's the sentence in the Bible. We don't cut a sentence in half. I mean, it's the way it's written in the Bible, man. You just, you just preach that. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me because I want to show you this dilemma. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. If not, it's going to be on the screen. But here's the thing. This is the cornerstone passage in all of Scripture for saved through faith. It is also the cornerstone passage in all of Scripture for saved by grace. But I want to make sure we understand what we learned last week so that you can understand what this week is all about because there is a line that can be drawn between through faith and by grace. And, and if we don't understand the first, we can't understand the second. So go with me here. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, what this is all saying is that none of us is without sin. None of us is without sin. God is a perfectly holy God. We are not perfectly holy. And then something inside of us says, we've got to figure out a way to get right with God. Let's see what we can do to get right with God. Maybe I can go to church a lot and I'll get right with God. Maybe I can read my Bible and I'll get right with God enough that God will let me back to be with him. He'll let me into heaven. He'll let me stand in his presence. Let, let me give you an illustration of how no matter what we do, we will never make that work. You see, in the new building, we had ordered all the paint to paint something black. It was the ceilings all throughout. It was going to be just like this. And we got in there. We said, well, we want to make this white. What if this were bright and white? And they said, well, we've already got all the paint here. We're going to have to go and buy all new paint. And my first thought to save money was, well, let's just tint it. Waiting to see how many of you get that. Tinting black paint white. It does not matter how much white paint you put in that bucket. You might get it to dingy gray. No, you are not getting it to white ever. And here's what you need to understand. God, perfectly holy, 
It does not matter how many drops of white paint you put in your bucket. Go to church Sunday. Go to church Wednesday. Volunteer on this team. Give this money. Do this. Do that. Read my Bible. Be nice to my neighbor because they're like, Satan, whatever you think you are pouring into this bucket, count the white drops. It'll never, it'll never turn black white. And so, Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross voluntarily for you and me. His blood was shed that paid the price for our sins, that you and I could be forgiven so that we could be right with God. When God looks at us, He does not see our sins. The Bible tells us He actually sees the righteousness of Christ. It says our red was turned as white as snow. That's what He sees. You see, that's saved through faith. You'll never be saved through your works. There's not enough white drops of paint you can put in that bucket. No matter what it is, you'll never be saved of your own doing. Nothing. But you can believe in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, and you can be saved through faith. Okay, I get it. That's how. But what does by grace mean? Let's go back and look at that verse again and think about it this way. What if we just took those two words out? I mean, what would it even mean? Let's read it. For... You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. Do you know what that would do to that verse? It would still make it one of the best in the Bible because it means that you and I are still saved by Jesus. It means we're still forgiven. It means Jesus still died for us. It means we're still going to heaven. We can still be right with God. We're still saved. It's one of the best verses in all the Bible without those two words. So what do those two words even mean? What difference does it make if you put them in? I mean, sometimes you wonder when you read your Bible, like, is there just a lot of words? Maybe Paul was just trying to impress his Greek teacher to see how many prepositional phrases he could include. Like we've got a, a, an about and a through and a, let's throw in a by grace and just have the fun of it. And y'all didn't laugh at that because y'all still going, prep a what? Some of y'all didn't pass grammar class. There you go. He wasn't just adding stuff and trying to be dramatic. These two words, by grace, actually change everything. Because see, here's the thing. The difference between by grace and through faith is the difference between why and how. It's the difference between why and how. We were sinners. Jesus died. He rose again. He forgave us. That's how. We are saved by what Jesus did. That's how. You ever read your Bible and stop and ask questions? You know, sometimes we're reading our Bible, we're kind of late for work, and we're just trying to check the box. So you just got to read. You don't stop and think, you just read. But have you ever read this and actually had time to just stop and think and ask? Why? I mean, seriously, God. Why? We're the ones that ran away. You made perfect creation we're the ones that screwed it up. You loved us. We rejected you. You said, I want to bless you if you'll just live according to my ways. And we said, no, thank you. We don't want your ways and we don't want your blessing. We are humanity. We're going to do it our own way. We don't need you. It's been the story of humankind for all of history. And the truth is, it's most of our own individual stories of saying, God, we, we, we got this. No, thank you. No, I've got it figured out. I know how to handle my life. I know how to run my life. My way works. I don't need your way. 
So please tell me, someone who rejects you, someone who destroys your plan, someone who ruins your creation, why? Why would you look down at us and the things we've done and be motivated for any reason to turn to your son and say, you go die for them? I get how, but why? Well, that is the point, isn't it? Grace. Faith is how. Grace is why. And actually, this passage answers the question, why? You just got to back up a couple of sentences. It already told us why God would do something so incredibly generous and great for us. If you've got your Bibles, just back up to verse 4. If not, it's on the screen right here. Just before, he says, but God. Come on, somebody needs to cheer for those words. You know those are like the two best words in all the Bible? I mean, we screw it up, but God. You're condemned to hell, but God. You've got no hope, but God. I mean, come on, somebody needs to get excited about but God. It's the best two words in all of the Bible. And so it says, look, everything was wrong, but God, being rich in his mercy, now it's talking about who he is. Because of the great love, it's talking about what's coming out of him that he had toward us. While we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Now think about that if you just read that. If you just read and you're thinking, so, so what is that? What does this tell me? I'm going to tell you, when I read this verse, the first thing it tells me is there is one main character. It is all about one person. Who is that? God. But God, being rich in his mercy, with the love he had toward us. I want you to imagine we're casting for a movie here. So we're like in Hollywood, you get the job, you're a casting director, right? Okay, you gotta get the first main character. So we gotta go, we gotta find God. God's gotta be there, right? But God, he burst onto the scene, he changes everything. He's the star of the show. He makes the scene. Without God, you got no movie. Okay, everybody with me here? So we get God, he's cast, cause you know, God's himself, nobody can play that, not even Morgan Freeman. God's gotta come, he's gotta do this himself, okay? So we got that part of the movie set. Are we good? Do we need anybody else? Yes. There's one more character, a dead guy. It can be a dead girl too, just so you know. It's okay. But, but we need a dead guy, okay? That's you and me. I want you to think about this. The dead guy, you and me, we don't get to speak. <laughs> There's no speaking part for the dead guy. Goes with the territory, right? There's no acting Matter of fact, it's preferred when the dead guy doesn't move at all because he's, you know, dead, right? I mean, everybody with me? And here's a clue you really need. No dead guy has ever won an Oscar. In other words, you don't contribute to the scene. You're not going to make the scene. Nobody is ever going to go away talking about you. When they watch this scene, they're going to go away talking about who? God. But God. You screwed it up. But God. You said... But God, you messed up all of the creation. But God, because of his rich mercy, mercy that's in him, because of his love, it's all about him. You want to know why we are saved? Him. God. That's the answer to why. God. You see, in theology class, we, we use this long sentence. What is, what is grace? Here's how we say grace is God's unmerited goodness and love toward those who deserve otherwise. Grace is when God makes a decision for our good 
based completely and only out of who he is. Why would God look down at his creation that has turned against him, rebelled against him, doesn't even like him? The Bible says, while we were still enemies. While we're his enemies, why would he turn and send Jesus for us? Because of who he is. It's because of who he is. You see, you and I, we've never given him a reason to save us. We've never motivated him to save us. Think about this. Before you were created, who before you existed did anything worthy <laughs> to give God a reason to create you? I'm glad nobody raised their hand. Who ever gave God a reason to give you a life with purpose? The Bible tells us we have lives that actually have purpose. They're not just meaningless. We're not just biological accidents. We were created by God before the foundation of the world to do good works that he prepared for us. He actually wants us to have meaning to our lives. Which one of us ever gave him a reason for that? Whoever gave him a reason to send his son to die? You see, here's the thing. We'll never give him a reason. I'm going to put two phrases on the screen that I think will help be a takeaway. For those of you who like to take notes with your phones, get ready, because here you go. Here's what you need to learn. Through faith alone means this. You will never come up with a way to be saved. Go to church every Sunday? Nope, won't do it. Go to church extra? Won't do it. Go to church three times on Sunday? Won't do it. Give? Won't do it. Serve? Won't do it. None of that is going to get you saved. Through faith alone means you will never come up with a way to be saved. By grace alone means you'll never come up with a reason to be saved. You will never be able to look at God and say, see, you'll never have. Because there is no reason that we could ever give him. This is the reason we're talking about this. You would say, okay, cool, that's, that's nice, that's informational, but what does that do for me on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday? Why are we bothering to talk about this? We're bothering to talk about it because it changes how we live Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday when we understand grace alone. It changes how we respond to God. You see, when you think that anything you do gives God a reason, then you begin to do something thinking that you're earning His love. You're earning His favor. You're earning His goodness. And when you realize that you've got it all already, Man, it changes how you look at him. It changes how you look at the entire world around you. I want us to go back to this phrase we already read, this, this part from Ephesians. said, And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. But here's the thing. We have a problem with gift giving. Right? Come on, we do, don't we? We don't know how to handle incredibly generous gifts. When people give us things, especially here in the South, we think we owe them something back. I mean, any Big Bang Theory people in here, y'all know? Like Sheldon Cooper, I mean, he's just crazy, hilarious. Praise God he's a character because that character would be going to hell really fast in real life. So he's an atheist, right? In the show, and, and uh, it turns out probably not very different in real life, but that's beside the point. In the show, he's an atheist and Christmas is coming. And so he's not celebrating Christmas because, well, he's an atheist. That kind of goes with the territory. Everybody with me on this one? And he finds out that one of his friends is going to give him a Christmas present. And he gets angry and irate. And it's not because of the atheist thing. It is simply, and he says it in the show, now I have to give the obligatory return gift. You see, we just think when someone does something for us, we have to do it back so that we can be on equal terms because we can somehow pay them back for this. Come on, it's a phrase we use. We say things like, that's ah, the least I could do after someone does something for you, right? 
Okay, so your friend, you go out to lunch with your coworker or something like that, and they pick up the check, and, and you're like, oh, wow, man, that was really kind of you to buy me lunch. And on the way back from lunch, as you're headed back to the office, your friend says something like, well, hey, why don't we stop for ice cream? Or how about coffee? So you decide you're going to stop and get coffee on the way back to the office, and as you're in the Starbucks line getting your coffee, you say, no, 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 let me get it. It's the least I could do. You got lunch. Just for the record. It is the least you can do, and you should. We don't want to raise a church full of, like, freeloading bums that won't, like, you know. <laughs> they paid for lunch. You should pay for the coffee. Just, why are you doing it, though? Because, see, when we realize what God has done for us, we should serve. We should give. Honestly, we should give our last penny because, I mean, Jesus died, and we're still alive. And, and we should read our Bible, and we should go and worship. But there is a subtle but huge difference between doing those things out of a grateful heart and doing those things because we think God notices and approves of us when we do. You see, something gets messed up right there. When we have these incredibly generous gifts just because of the lies of the enemy and human nature and trying to say, oh, it's the least I could do, trying to somehow get even. The first thing that happens when we realize what God has done for us is we try to take credit for the gift. Now, I'm just going to tell you something I thought, at least at one time in my life, I really remember the thought going like through my head like it was written across the screen. <laughs> Y'all can just laugh at me because I know none of you would ever have had this thought. But one of the first things we do is take credit for what God did. It goes like this. You look at your friends who are rejecting Jesus. You know, I would invite my friends to church. Some of them wouldn't come. I'd invite some to church. They wouldn't come back. I'd talk about Jesus. They'd say, Jesus isn't for me. And I remember very clearly one time in college walking down my dorm thinking of my stupid friends and saying, well, at least I was smart enough to follow Jesus. Come on, don't laugh at me. All y'all were like, I did that. Well, at least I was willing to admit I was a sinner unlike all those people. You know, we, we try to believe we are saved through faith by our wisdom. It was somehow me that actually somehow saved. What? And if you're not trying to take credit for it, then you ultimately find yourself just trying to be worthy of it. We, we think that we can actually live in such a way that God looks down from heaven and goes, Orlando, <laughs> he's a good one. I did, right? When I saved that boy, I tell you what, man, he's just got it. Yep, proud of him. Proud I saved that one. Yep, he's, uh, he's worthy. He's worthy. And his wife, we'll talk about her later. But <laughs> Don't sit on the front row. Anyway, that's okay. We try to be worthy. Here's what happens. If you try to be worthy, we start a sliding scale. And wherever you are, you are at some point of good. And then you try to get gooder and gooder. Come on, we're in South Carolina. Just go with me, right? And as you're on the scale of gooder and gooder, okay, better. As you're trying to get better, you find stopping points where you set up camp. And for some of us, it's called religious. And that means that you begin to just make an appearance. If I, if I act this way and look this way, and as long as everybody thinks I'm doing all the right things, I'm good. Others of us, we set up camp at a place called legalism. And it's similar to the other one, except this one is all about rules. And you think, if I follow the rules, God actually likes me better. And God does like me better, because after all, I'm following the rules better than everybody else. It's all there. 
But there's a natural progression. If you go far enough along this path of good to better to better to better, at some point the path ends on best. And that's called perfect. And some of you are like me. My true struggle in life for the majority of my life and the reason I never preached on grace, the reason I couldn't receive grace, is because I was a perfectionist. I like to tell people now I'm a recovering perfectionist. And what that simply means is I now recognize how much it destroys me and the people around me. You see, perfectionism, I think, is one of the worst things humans can develop in their soul. Because first of all, it's the antithesis of grace. It, it, it says, well, you know, God, I get it, the whole save through faith thing. But let's be honest, between you and me, Jesus only had to die a little. Because I didn't really do much wrong. And well, you know, I mean, I'm so good, that would be the reason. I mean, we, we make a joke. If you've ever been around a perfectionist, we make the joke and, and everybody laughs, but we're not joking. When we do something wrong, like forget a date or show up late for something, we say, hey, put that on the calendar. It won't happen for another year. <laughs> Come on, anybody with me? See, when you're a perfectionist, you can't receive grace because you don't think you need it. You're just good. And so you don't get grace from God. You can't give grace to others. And God began to show me this as I was destroying my marriage, as our first son, who was old enough to begin to experience this before God healed me of this, would just realize you, you can never measure up. You, you can never be good enough. You'll never be worthy. You know why no one was ever worthy to me? Because when I looked in the mirror, I knew I was never worthy to God. So when you spend your life trying to be worthy, you expect everybody else to be worthy. And if you can't live by grace, you certainly won't let others do it either. I want to leave you with an image in your mind. It's, it's a scene. I'm going to give you some choices, so at least I'm not going to force a particular scene upon you, but hopefully this will help you grasp where we are and the struggle that we really face. So for me, I, I love World War II history. I like watching those, those uh, documentaries and all that sort of stuff. I know I'm a nerd. Y'all laugh, whatever. And uh, one of the things I love in particular is looking at the original actual films made by the soldiers and, and seeing the looks on the faces of those people as the gates to the concentration camps were opened and left open. And as those soldiers began giving them food and, and just watching the look on their face. Maybe for you, your movie, it's, it's just some action uh, movie where somebody saves somebody that was, you know, about to get killed, Spider-Man swings down and swoops you up or whatever it is. Maybe for you it's a war movie and you watch someone throw themselves on a grenade to save their friends. Or maybe you're just a, just a reality person who reads the news. So let me give you current events. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, 12 kids in Thailand, 12 kids on the soccer team went into a cave and the water rose and well, it's the rainy season, which means it was only going to keep going up and they couldn't swim and they didn't have food and well, they were dead, at least going to be. Pick your scene, I don't care which one it is. But I want you to imagine at this point, you've got these 12 kids in the cave, or you've got these people coming out of a concentration camp, or you, you, maybe you've got somebody that works on a, a rescue team or whatever, and they've heard someone's dangling off the side of the mountain, and, and they're supposed to go out and help them. Or a firefighter who's supposed to run into a house. It, it doesn't matter. I want you to imagine the meeting where all the rescuers get together and say, you know, before we go do this, I mean, some of us could get hurt or die, as in the case with the kids in the cave. One of the divers did die. 
You know, some, some of us could actually like, this could hurt us. So before we risk our lives for these people, before I throw myself on a grenade for my friends, let, let's just stop and ask the question, are they worthy? I mean, where's their resume for being saved? What kind of grades do these kids make? Because, I mean, if they're just losers in school, they're going to grow up and be losers in life. Why should I risk my life for that? I mean, what kind of people are these? Are they worthy of me risking my life? Aren't you glad that meeting has never taken place? You know why it never takes place? Because we're made in the image of God. And I believe there is just something about God imprinted in our nature that says when somebody's lost and needs saving, you just go save them. You don't wait on them to be worthy. I think that's that little piece of God's image. Now back to the scene. I want you just to think about this. The look on their faces as the gates are opened. The look on the soldiers' faces as they stand up after the grenade and the dust settles and and they see their friend who's never going to stand up again. I want you to imagine the only response, the only thing that anyone can do at that point, no matter what. And if you go and look at some of those, those films from World War II, all you can see is they just fall down. And they say, thank you. Because they've got nothing else to offer. You'll watch them on those films. They just, because they know the soldiers, that's all they can understand. They don't even speak the same language. You know why? I, I, I'm never going to see you again. I mean, this is what's going on. Think about it. They're going to go back to America. You're going to go and live your life. You're never going to do anything to earn, to repay, to show that you are worthy of what they did. But they risked their lives. Matter of fact, one of those soldiers lost his best friend getting in a fight the day before with the enemy. And, and And when we get by grace alone, we'll wake up every day and we won't read our Bible to check a box hoping God is looking down saying, good job. No, we'll say, thank you. We'll look at God and say, that's all I've got. You will serve with a smile on your face not to earn something. You will give your last penny with a smile on your face, not hoping God was watching. Everything will change when you understand by grace alone. The only thing that you have to offer God is, thank you. I could never give you a reason. For all of eternity that we're together, I'll still never give you a reason. So thank you that we're going to have eternity together. Faith is how? Grace is wine. You guys say that with me? Grace is wine. No why outside of him. It's just grace. It'll change how you treat other people. Everything changes. I want to close by talking to those of you that well, you've yet to make Jesus your king. Maybe it's that you didn't think you needed faith. You thought you could do enough good. 
Or maybe you didn't understand the motivation that God had behind it, so the whole grace part didn't make any sense. I don't know what the reason is. I want to share with you a, a very strange scripture out of the Bible. For those of you that care, it's Hebrews 2.9. But it, it says this. It says, Jesus suffered death by the grace of God. Isn't that weird? Because I'm pretty sure as Jesus hung on the cross, suffering the worst form of, of punishment and death that humanity could come up with, I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't saying, thank you, God, for your grace. And you know why? It's because God's grace wasn't being shown toward him. It's being shown toward you and me. Jesus suffered death by God's grace for you and me. And so if there's anyone who, however many times you've been to church, however many times you've walked through these doors and you have managed to just brush off the thought of saved through faith in Jesus by grace. That you're too got it together, figured it out, don't want to worry about it, good enough, got it under, whatever it is. I pray today, right now, that you say, enough. I'm never walking through that door again without recognizing Jesus suffered death by the grace of God for me. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down front, but right where you're seated, I'm just going to lead you in a conversation with him. Would you all pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me, that you forgave me, and that you rose again from the dead. And that's how I'm saved. God, I thank you that because of who you are, your love, your mercy, your goodness, that's why I am saved today. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.